0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on God Amen. Our Bible study tonight from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 16, will study only from verse 1 to verse 15, the first half of the chapter. Uh, in the previous chapters, actually, the Lord spoke to the disciples on many of the promises before of, that will happen to them after his ascension to heaven. And also, he told them about many of the sufferings. You know, chapter uh, 14, 15, 16, and 17. These chapters, we call them the chapters of the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit. And these chapters, actually, uh, we read it on the first hour of the eve of Good Friday. And historically, this discourse happened on Covenant Thursday at night after the Lord gave the disciples the Eucharist, part of it he set it in the upper room until he told them, Let us arise and go from here. Uh, then he went to Gethsemane. and in Gethsemane, sorry, into Mount of Olive, to Mount of Olive, he finished the discourse, and then he went to Gethsemane where actually he was arrested. So chapter 16, that is a continuation of the discourse that the Lord or the speech that the Lord spoke to them about before uh, he delivered himself by his own will to the uh, Jews and to the soldiers to be crucified. As I told you in previous chapters, He told them about the promise of the Holy Spirit and also about the pain and the suffering that they will endure. And we know that pain entered the world as one of the fruits of disobedience. After the disobedience of Adam and Eve, pain and suffering entered into the world. However, God in His love allowed His only begotten Son to become man, and to suffer as a sacrifice of love offered on behalf of all humanity. That's why pain changed from being the fruit of sin to becoming a sign of love. Pain has changed from being the fruit of sin to be the sign of love. And the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the disciples openly how much they would suffer. And he promised them the Holy Spirit, the helper, who will descend on them, work on them, support them, and grant them his divine comfort. We can divide this chapter into four sections. From verse 1 to 4, the Lord Jesus Christ foretells his disciples their persecution then from verse 5 to 15 the work of the Holy Spirit then from 16 to 24 their sorrow will turn into joy and from 25 to 33 the Lord Jesus Christ has overcome the world as I told you We will study the first two sections only tonight until verse 15. So let's start from verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. These things refer to what he told them in chapter 14 and 15. As I told you, the Lord Jesus Christ described many blessings that he would provide to the apostles after he leaves them and ascends to heaven. Also, he warned them that they will face persecution and opposition. And he had warned them of the need to continue to bear fruit for him in spite of the persecution and in spite of the opposition. Now he is explaining why he had given them this instruction. Because he is about to leave, he will be arrested in a few minutes, he will be crucified. And uh, it would be better for the disciples to know upfront what they will face, the persecution and the suffering that they will save. That's why he told them, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made stumble. You should not be made stumble. During the time of crucifixion, there was a lot of confusion, grief, disillusion, discouragement, and persecution also. So they needed strength to help them. So, he was saying all these things so that they would not stumble when they face all these problems. In general, problems are much easier to bear when we are prepared for them and when we anticipate them. We are much easily discouraged and defeated when problems come suddenly unexpected And especially when we don't believe that they would overcome and we are not prepared for them. So the Lord told them about what they are about to face in order to be ready. And he is repeating again from verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that... Whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. So the Lord Jesus Christ described again the persecution facing them, which would tend to cause them to stumble if they were not ready for it. They will put you out of the synagogue. And actually this practice had already begun. Do you remember uh, the man who was born blind? when he confessed to the Lord Jesus Christ, they put him out of the synagogues. And they made a rule. Anyone confess that Jesus is the Messiah, they will put him out of the synagogue. Uh, People would refuse to associate with them because of their beliefs. So putting out of the synagogue, not only literally don't allow to enter the synagogue, but they will be like in a state of social isolation. Social isolation. And it would impact them severer than what we imagine. Because if one is put out of the synagogue, the harm will not affect only friendship but also business dealing and more. They will not deal with him in trade, in anything. He will be completely excommunicated. Excommunicated means no communication. No communication. So he will be completely isolated. And he told them that men will kill them thinking that they were serving God by doing so actually Saul before his conversion, St. Paul when he was persecuting the Christian he thought that he is doing service to God and uh, this actually was done to the Lord Jesus Christ first when they crucified him they believed that they actually pleasing God by crucifying this man who is blaspheming and he made himself equal to God. And later, many suffered the same fate, like St. Stephen, as we read in Acts chapter 7, St. James, as we read in Act, James son of Zebedee in Acts 12, and many others. So, they will believe that If they kill the Christian, they are offering God's service. And until now, actually, many people believe when they kill us, they are offering God a service. In verse 3, the Lord explaining why they are doing this. He said, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me they have not known the father not me so the lord is repeating that those who reject him and reject his disciples are doing this because they have never known god the father and they do not know the lord jesus christ not knowing him in in terms or the context of covenant relationship He came to establish the new covenant with us by his own blood. Why the Lord actually told them that is the reason? Because there is a special force in mention of this ignorance in connection to the previous verse in which he said to them, and they will do so because they think they offer God service. Men think that in persecution and in killing the Christian uh, actually they are offering to God an acceptable service, but in reality they know nothing of the true nature of the loving father the God the Father pities everyone he does not desire the death of a sinner and he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life if they know the father and his love toward us they they wouldn't think that God will be happy when we kill one another God will never be happy when we are killing one another they know nothing of the long-suffering and the compassionate God, and also the Son, who pleaded on the cross and prayed for his murderers. Father forgave them. They know not what they do. Verse 4. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. As he said in verse 1, that you should not be stumbled. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning of my ministry uh, three years ago, because I was with you. So, again, as the Lord is going back to the idea in verse 1. Why he is telling them now what they what will, will face, what they will, would face from persecution and opposition. So when the persecution comes, they remember His word and find in His word support for their faith and evidence that he is with them, He will not, never forsake them or leave them. But at the beginning of the ministry, he didn't need to tell them about this. Because in the beginning of the ministry, he started them to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. He wants just them to accept the kingdom of God. But now after three years spent with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's about to be crucified and ascend to heaven, now he is telling them what they are going to face. So, uh, also, in the first three years, The hatred and the opposition was directed mainly to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, not to the disciples. So there was no need to tell them at that time. When he will depart to the Father, the burden of persecution will rest on them. Now they are the leaders of the church and the spokesmen of the word of God. Verse 5. But now I go away to him, to the Father who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? So the Lord, in a way, as if He is rebuking them, telling them, Why are you not asking me, Where are you going? Actually, in chapter 13 and chapter 14, while they were still in the upper room, both Peter and Thomas asked him, where are you going? But when they asked him, where are you going? Their focus and their concern not about the destination, but they just want to follow him. So they were not asking to know the destination, where he is going, but he want they wanted to follow him. Some scholars also point to the use of the present tense in this verse. And he they suggest that the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, Why don't you ask me now where I am going? I told you, chapter 13 and 14 were in the upper room, then he went to. Um, the Mount Olives, and he continued his discourse. So, after he went to the Mount Olives, they did not ask this question again. So, the Lord uh, telling them, why are, you, uh, why are you not asking me where you are going? Yes, they are interrupted the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 14 and chapter uh, 13, asking him where he is going. But as I explained, the, the, their interest was to follow him, not the destination. But since the beginning of chapter 15, they did not ask him this question anymore. So now the Lord actually, he will, ask the, he will answer the question. So as if he's telling them, why you are asking me where I'm going? I know why. Because, verse 6, I, but because I have said, These things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You became sorrowful. That's why you cannot ask me. Sorrowful mainly because I will leave you. Sorrow filled your heart. So it's because that your heart are full of sorrow. So you don't ask. Yet if they have asked it, they would be comforted to know that he is going to the Father. So as if he's telling them, if you ask me, you will be comforted knowing that I am going to the Father who sent me. Now he is explaining to them why they would be comforted knowing that he will depart and ascend to heaven. Verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send Him to you. Many people actually think or understand ascension as if the Lord finished His mission on earth and now, he, after He finished His, his mission, He went back to heaven where He was before his incarnation as the hypostasis of the sun. Of course, God fills heaven and earth. But I want to explain that ascension to heaven was a very essential step in the fulfillment of our salvation. Very essential step in the fulfillment of our salvation. St. Paul explained this beautifully in chapter 9 and chapter 10, from his letter to Hebrews. He said, In the day of atonement, Kippurah day, the high priest entered into the holy of the holies with the blood of the sacrifices. And thus, he finds redemption, atonement. In the same way, our high priest our Lord Jesus Christ, must enter into the holy of the holies, into heaven of heavens, by his body that he took in his incarnation, and not by blood of animals, but by his own blood, and thus he found eternal redemption. Redemption. So, our humanity that he took from St. Mary must enter into the Holy of the Holies. And the blood that he shed on the cross must be there in the heaven of the heaven. And this actually will be the final step in our redemption. Then he can send us the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, unless I go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So it is not like I had a mission here and I finished, I'm going back home. No. Ascension is an essential step in the fulfillment of our salvation. I tell you the truth. These words, I tell you the truth the Lord is about to utter the words that may strange uh, may, may sound strange or weird in the ears of the disciples because they were sorrowful knowing that he will depart and leave them after they spent three joyful years with him. So now he's telling them it is to your advantage that I will leave you now he is he introduces them by an appeal to his own knowledge and frankness in dealing with them so now he will tell them some facts that will comfort their heart so despite their sadness they needed to realize it is to their advantage, advantage that the lord jesus christ would leave them either to the cross or to a heaven of heavens. One advantage is that if he did not ascend, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come upon us. As I explained, the Son of Man should complete his work on earth and offer the sacrifice of himself for sin on the cross, then rise from the dead and ascend to the Father's throne before the Advocate should come, before the Holy Spirit should come. The Son of Man was to be glorified by ascending into heaven before the Holy Spirit was to be given. Then he told them, In verse 8, But when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, He, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment could only follow the finished work of Christ and His ascension into heaven. This conviction of sin, judgment, unrighteousness is impossible without him ascending to heaven. How come? Uh, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will bear witness about the Lord Jesus Christ. As he said in John 15, 26, when the Holy Spirit will come, he will bear witness of me. And the conviction of the world is part of the witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the character and the work of Christ to the hearts of men. Therefore, reject the evil in their heart. That's convicting the sin. The result of this conviction either that men will embrace it, accept, the son of man to be their savior, and accept its chastening discipline, and are saved by it. Or they will reject this conviction, and in rejection, their hearts will be hardened, and thus, they will be condemned. And here, I want to explain something very important in our spiritual warfare. Sometimes, we want to attain virtues. For example, I say, Next week is the Great Fast. My goal during the Great Fast is to grow in the virtue of humbleness. So what I can do, then I will start making some practices about humbleness. Or I want to grow in the virtue virtue of love, of virtue of endurance, or virtue of forgiveness. So I write some exercise and say, I will exercise all these things. But how this is different from any non-believer who actually wants to uh, grow in any virtue, he will do the same exercises. Our growth in virtue in, in general comes only from our union with our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are united with him, then we can grow in these virtues. But any exercise to grow in any virtue, without this union with the Lord Jesus Christ, will fail. Will fail at the end. That's why the Lord had to finish the salvation. Then the Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit will bear witness of Christ, then when I accept the Lord Jesus Christ and be in union with Him, this actually will convict me of sin. Because how I am in union with the Lord Jesus Christ and I commit sin, far be it for me to commit sin while I am in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the righteousness will be the righteousness of Christ, not righteousness from my own works, And also, judgment will be in front of my eyes, how Satan and all the evil doers, when reject this union with the Lord Jesus Christ, they are condemned. So, uh, like in the Sermon of St. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit convicted the people and 3,000 persons believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and came to this union with the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism and repentance and through this union their life was changed so the Lord elaborated more about how the Holy Spirit will convict the world on righteousness, sin, and judgment. Verse 9, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So, uh, the three steps of conviction, sin, righteousness, and judgment. Uh, St. Augustine observed that the greatest sin is the disbelief in Christ as the Savior of the world. Because if you, are, if you don't believe in Jesus as the Savior, you are not united with him, then there is no salvation. He who does not believe cannot have the blessing of remission of his sins. Therefore, He will convict the world of sin implies urging men to abandon the disbelief in Christ and to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, to be united with him. And this will open the way for forgiveness. So the root of all sins or the essence of all sin is the unbelief in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ declared that the Spirit, which has always been in us, is striving with men, struggling with us to bring us into reconciliation with God. And now the Holy Spirit is convicting the world to its its sinful tendency and principle, have reached their highest and most willful expression. When they reject the Lord Jesus Christ. The unbelief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of righteousness. He said. Verse 10. Of righteousness. Because I go to my father. And you see me no more. Although he is going to the father. And will see him no more. But now. We can have his righteousness. Through the sacrament. And. Uh, So it is the righteousness of Christ not that of the world not that of the law and the special reason of the conviction of righteousness is the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ So the Holy Spirit will tell me do you want to be righteous? Do you want to be justified? Be united with the Lord Jesus Christ That's the only way There is no other way To be right. Righteousness from the word right. To be right in front of God. Because he is the only one who is righteous before the Father. So if I hide in him by my union in him, I will be right. I will be righteous in him. That's why when we baptize a child, we dress him in white. This white cloth represents what? The righteousness of Christ. That he gave us as a gift, free gift, when we are united with him. The Jews had insulted the Lord Jesus Christ as a wicked man. He was a sinner, friend of publicans and sinners. He is guilty of blasphemy. He maintained a familiarity with Satan, and he is possessed with demons. Now the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of St. Peter on the day of Pentecost, proved to the conviction of the Jews that all this was a slander, that Christ was an innocent, holy, righteous person, a man approved of God among them, and they themselves must be conscious of all uh, these things and Uh, now he ascended to heaven, received his glory, is seated at the right hand of the Father. So this a proof and demonstration that Jesus was a righteous man because he is God who became man. Because you see me no more, I'm going to the Father and you cannot see me bodily My bodily presence with you will cease. But the Spirit who will bear witness of me, he will convince the world and convict the world of sin and righteousness. And he will be a true presence of me within you. Although you cannot see me with your eyes, but through the Holy Spirit who is one with me, I will be with you unto the end of the ages verse 11, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Who is the ruler of the world? Satan. Satan and all those who choose Satan over Christ have condemned themselves and will face God's judgment. As I told you, the only way to be forgiven and to be righteous is through the union of Christ. Those who are against Christ will be judged and condemned. And the tense here is perfect, making the completion of of the condemnation, as if he is saying, the ruler of this world has been and remains judged, condemned. The conviction is regarded from the point of view of the coming of the Holy Spirit, when Christ's work shall have been completed. So when he completes his work by his ascension, the Holy Spirit will come and say, now Satan is condemned. Period. Uh, If the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, by means of his testimony, convicted the world of the sin of unbelief, of Christ's righteousness, then the third referred to Satan himself, who rules the unbelieving world and is the original enemy of Christ and his kingdom. So the first conviction and the second is the sin and the unrighteousness. The third one about Satan, the original enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world, by killing the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, might think that they conquered the Lord Jesus Christ in Gethsemane and Calvary. That's what the power of darkness are thinking. But by the resurrection and ascension, uh, now what they thought it's a victory, they will understand it is their defeat. And the ruler of the world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So, from the point of view of the Holy Spirit, uh, the victory is already accomplished. And now, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, stand out in clear distinction and the power of the ruler of this world is gone Uh, and now the kingdom of heaven is established through the church and it is open to all the believers and the king of righteousness is in victory seated upon his throne on the right hand of the father and he claims mankind who, who believe in him whose nature, our human nature, has assumed and whom he has redeemed and now ascended with nature into the heaven of heavens to be free from sin and to be servant of righteousness. The Lord in John chapter 15, verse 15, he told them, you are my friends and I will tell you everything. So it is not his intention to hide or to keep anything back from them. But it would be useless if they tell them something they cannot understand or they cannot bear. So their mind at this moment are not yet fit to receive. So the Christ told them, I have many things to tell you in verse 12, but you cannot bear right now. He told them before that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will be one method through which the divine approach the disciples and their successors and all the believers for the purpose of consolation and instruction. So he does not now allow them to suppose that by being separated from them by death and ascension, then he will as if he will stop instructing them but the holy spirit will continue what the lord started with them he instructed them during these three years after his ascension the holy spirit will teach them and as we know at the day of pentecost they received both power and uh, understanding and strength Verse 13, that's why he told them, yes, I have many things to tell you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So he will continue to teach you all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, The Holy Spirit not only convicts and convinces the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but also he will enlighten their mind respecting Christ. And by this enlightenment, he is glorifying Christ. By making Christ known to them, that is glorifying Christ. He is guide. He goes before them, lead them the way, remove any obstruction, open their understanding, make things plain and clear to them, teach the prophet and leads in in the way men should go without turning to the right or to the left. So the Holy Spirit will be their guide while they are living here on earth. He will not speak on his own authority. The same word the Lord said about himself. He said, I am not speaking uh, on my own authority. So as Christ the Son spoke not of himself, in opposition to the Father, the Holy Spirit also speaks not of himself in opposition to either the Father or the Son, but in perfect agreement with both. So yes, the Holy Spirit has his own will, Father has his own will, and the Son has his own will, but the three are in in agreement. So they are not speaking in opposition to one another the same nature and essence, power and glory, so it is the same mind, the same understanding, and the same will. Same will means their will are in harmony together. So these verses are very important as showing the authority of the apostles' teaching. When the apostles are teaching, it's not their own teaching but it is the truth of Christ revealed by the Holy Spirit. Some people say, that's what St. Paul said, Christ did not say this. But here actually the Lord told them, the Spirit of truth will teach you, will guide you. So the promise has a special meaning for the disciples. It holds good also for every disciple, every believer who seeks to know the truth until now. So, the Lord, while he's speaking about the Holy Spirit, he is revealing also some aspect of the Holy Trinity, like the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He is teaching us the three divine hypostases have one and the same essence, when he says that everything that the father has Belong to the son And everything that the son has Belong to the father And the spirit also ha- What he has is common To the father and to the son So we now understand that They are the same essence Verse 14 and 15 He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore i said he will take of mine and declare it to you because of the unity of the three hypostases he will glorify me the future guidance of the holy spirit promised here in john 16:13 will be the revelation of the many things of Christ himself, which he couldn't tell them because he couldn't bear it right now. And by teaching them about Christ, this actually glorifying the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the son glorified the father by revealing him, no one has seen the father The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has revealed Him to us. So the Son glorified the Father by revealing the Father to us. In the same way, He revealed the Father to us in word and in work. The Holy Spirit also glorified the Son by revealing the Son to us. As St. Paul said, the Spirit searches all things, even the depth of God, and reveals them to those who receive the Holy Spirit our Lord declares that all truth is implicitly contained in him as he said I am the truth he is the truth about God and about us and about the relationship between God and us the Holy Spirit will take this truth and reveal it to us As if the Holy Spirit will remove the veil that hides the truth and will draw this hidden harmony uh, and reveal it uh, between the Holy Trinity and reveal this to us. And while we are growing, with this revelation increased to us, so as if we are growing from glory to glory, as St. Paul said in Corinthians chapter 2 Corinthians 3, 17, 18. So the more the Holy Spirit revealed to us, the more we will glor- uh, we'll, we'll grow. The, we are growing actually in glory to that image, the image of Christ. That's why Saint Paul, uh, even at the end of his ministry, knowing that that treasure that hidden in Christ are unlimited there is no limit to it nobody can say now I understood all the truth about Christ that's why he said he has one goal what is this goal? that I may, I may know him Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that I may know him St. Paul you ascend to third heaven you wrote more than 50% of the New Testament, and you are saying you did not know him, said, yeah, his knowledge is infinite. Is infin- infinite. I'm growing in knowledge, but nobody said that I apprehended, or I know everything. The Holy Spirit will take of mine and declare it to you. Here he does not mention uh, that he will take things belong to the father and declare it to us. Uh, there is no necessity to say it because why because what is Christ is also the father and what is the father is Christ so by saying he will take of mine and declare it to you it implies the father also because the father and son are jointly concerned in in, in everything. So that when the Spirit of God takes of the thing of one, like the Son, He takes of the things of the other, the Father, and discovers and applies them to us. This actually concludes our Bible study tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.